morning. It's wonderful to be with you today. My name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. As you grab a seat, you might want to grab your notes out of your handout. And Sachin's right. We are uh, continuing a series called Show Up. I'm very, very excited about what God is stirring, what God's doing in, uh, in hearts and in our church as he leads us. But this morning, I want to start specifically with a prayer focus. And uh, many of you, you probably already know this, that over the last 49 years, Overlake Christian Church has been a part of launching other churches, that this has been something that has been kind of natural in the life cycle of the church, and uh, we've done this eight different times. Today, we want to pray as the ninth church launches out of Overlake. This is a church called Arbor Church. It's led by Pastor Jake Gertza uh, and his wife, Davey, and uh, it's very, very exciting. Yeah, exactly. And it's uh, the location, it's about 20 minutes north of us, serving the Bothell, Woodenville, Mill Creek, Maltby, and Monroe communities, and they have a launch team of about 250, most of whom are from Overlake Christian Church. So I just want to tell you, this is going to be one of the most successful church plants in the history of church planting, and we're very, very excited about Jake. We're excited about how God has called him and led him through the years, and uh, we just know that uh, this is something that God is, is going to bless. But we want to be a part of that. So I'm just going to ask if you would join me in prayer right now. Today is their very first Sunday. And so we want to pray the full measure of God's blessing over this endeavor. So please bow your heads, close your eyes. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do want to begin today with prayer. And we know your church is a church that is deeply rooted and founded in prayer, in in connection with you. And so it is with great joy and great confidence that we come before you today. And we lift up Jake and we lift up Arbor Church to you. We know that you have been a part of this movement from the very beginning, that you have stirred the 250 leadership hearts that have joined Jake and Davey in this endeavor. We know that you have been a part of the planning process, the the strategic creative process. We know that you've been a part of the communication process. And Lord, we know that you have a plan for this church and for these leaders. And so we just ask that you would unveil your plan that you would bless them in the richest, most incredible ways imaginable. We pray that they would grow and that they would be humble, that they would be wise, that they would be guided and led by your Holy Spirit. And we know that there are going to be millions and millions of victory stories out of this church and this church plant, and we give you all of the glory and all of the praise for them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Okay. Well, let's jump right in. We are uh, in this series called Show Up. Today is, in fact, the last message in this four-week series. If you missed any of our messages, please go online, occ.org, and catch up because it's been one of those things. We feel like this has been God's call for us and on us as a church, and it's not really a new call. We've kind of talked about it in terms of our Blessing My City campaign, talked about it in terms of uh, caring for my parish, but this is just, uh, again, another one of those 
kind of furthering the story, continuing the journey. We are called to show up. And we talked a little bit week one about how we're to show up with our head. The mentality that God desires us to serve, that God desires us to bless. We too talked about showing up with our hands, actually using our hands to serve in practical, tangible ways. Good intentions are good, but it's not enough. It's got to come into practice with it with a tangible expression of service. We three, we talked about our feet, showing up with our feet and actually going into the places where God calls us to go, letting God lead us across the street or across the globe in order to show up and bring his love tangibly to those that we're interacting with. And today we're kind of going to wrap this whole thing up. We're talking about showing up with our heart. Showing up with our heart, the, the, the attitude of our heart, the posture of our heart that's required if we are going to effectively follow Jesus in his call for us to show up. A, a quote from Eleanor Roosevelt I found says, to handle yourself, use your head, to handle others, use your heart. In other words, we can be a little more strict, a little more critical when we're dealing with ourselves using our head, but when it comes to, to dealing with other people, we need to use our heart. And of course, the Lord says a whole lot about our heart, specifically in Ezekiel chapter 36, uh, God says, and I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart, right? That's the heart that God wants to give us. If we're Jesus followers, that's the heart that we seek to operate out of. Where we find ourselves having a stony heart or a stubborn heart, that we are resistant to the things of God or the leading and the guiding of God or the attitude and the heart of God, we repent of those things and we want to have his heart. We want to have a tender, responsive heart, the heart that only he can give us. And there are several things over the course of this series we, we bring when we show up. We've talked about bringing hope, bringing light, bringing the love, bringing Jesus. We've talked about how we are interested in everybody, in everyone, that the, the call of Jesus is for everyone, no matter where, no matter what background, religious background, ethnic background, no matter where we sort of hail from. No, th those things don't matter because Jesus cares for everyone. Jesus died on the cross for everyone. Therefore, our heart is for everyone. But there are specific responses or postures that God wants us to have in terms of our heart. So if you're filling in the blanks, the first one is showing up with our heart requires humility. It requires humility. It requires the willingness to learn and to grow. C.S. Lewis says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. In other words, a false humility is that kind of humility that puts oneself down, that pretends that you don't have any gifts or any talents or any skills, that kind of false humility, that self-deprecation. It, you know, it's fine, it's funny, it's wonderful, like I totally get that and I can operate out of it, but that's not humility, at least not how God reckons it. It's not thinking less of yourself, it's just thinking of yourself less. It's thinking of others more. And the scripture says in Philippians 2, verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. 
And so this, this is the challenge, that we're not to be thinking of ourselves primarily, but we're to thinking about others, we're to valuing others, we're not arrogant, right? We're, we're not completely self-centered. Um, having confidence is wonderful, and it's essential to a healthy self-esteem, but there's a fine line between confidence and arrogance, and that line is the line of humility. Ephesians 4.2 says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. And these are the things that showing up with your heart requires. It requires humility. I want you to think for just one second about somebody you know who's cocky and arrogant and prideful. I don't want you elbowing the person next to you right now. That's not, that's not what this is for. But just think, we all have somebody like this in our lives that we actually know that's, that's maybe a part of our friendship circle. We like these people, right? But it's always kind of the same thing that when we get around them, when we have lunch with them or we're at a party with them, we begin to interact with them, they begin to talk about themselves and it just goes on and on and on. You know what I'm talking about here. That, that it's just this, this uh, kind of the stream that flows. And, you, and you're with them for, uh, for a minute or two minutes or five minutes. But, but pretty soon you're like, ugh. Right? Uh. And, and I have had, and, and actually from stage, I, we've done this several times. We, but I have coached people about what a dialogue entails. Just so you know. A dialogue entails two things. And you might want to write these down. Ask and then share. Ask and then share, right? There's, there's two things to a dialogue, the idea of listening and the, the idea of speaking. Those are the two things required in a dialogue. If all you're doing is just sharing, 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 that's not a dialogue, friends. That's a monologue or a momologue if it's your mom who's doing all the sharing, right? <laughs> Thank you. I, I deserve to groan. Um, the, the, uh, the, the truth, though, is that we've got to be coached on this. Why? Because it's not natural for us to be humble. It's not natural for us to be more interested in the person that we're talking to. It's natural for us to be more interested in ourselves. And so we have to work on this. We have to practice this heart posture of humility. Uh, my buddy Jacob told me a fun story this week. He said when he was in fifth grade, he played basketball at his Christian school. And at the end of the year, there was an awards party where all of the players were given different awards, like best shooter and clutch player and most valuable player. And in that award ceremony, he received the humility award. And he was bummed to not receive a more prestigious award, but he picked it up anyway and he sat down next to his mom sulking. And his mom, of course, hugged him and she said, I'm so proud of you. She said, did you know Jesus was humble as well. And Jacob looked at her and said, why, was he terrible at basketball too? <laughs> right? And, and just this idea that, that in our world, in our culture, being humble isn't often prized. It, it, it's not something that tends to be elevated. It, like, it doesn't hit the news cycle. You know, it's, it's, it's not something that, that we get to see um, celebrated. And yet, we know that this is so important to the heart of God, where, where, where God opposes the proud, but what does he do? He lifts the humble. 
right? The, 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 he cares about this issue. Even if you're sort of in the secular workplace and you've read great leadership books, you know, like for example, Jim, College, Jim Collins in Good to Great, he talks about a level five leader and the level five leader is the, the leader who is incredibly humble, and he puts the needs of his employees and the needs of his organization above his own needs. And he's able to value others. And as he values others, the value of the entire thing elevates. And that's this idea of humility. To show up with your heart requires that we would be humble, that we would have humility. The next fill-in, showing up with our heart also requires empathy. It requires empathy and caring, compassion. And an empathetic person is someone who can share another person's feelings, sharing someone else's feelings of joy, excitement, and celebration, as well as sharing someone else's feelings of pain and suffering and their burdens. And people who are empathetic, they are, they are able to not be jealous when a friend of theirs experiences good things that they do not experience. So a, 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 a colleague of yours gets a promotion that you were kind of hoping that you would receive, but you end up celebrating with them sincerely anyway. That's a beautiful, empathetic response. Uh, a buddy of yours finds a $50 bill on the ground, and you celebrate with him and high-five him, and, and don't just secretly hope that he splits it in half with you, right? That, that that idea of being empathetic and celebrating someone else's good fortune and that you're willing, not only willing, but you're able to empathetically celebrate that. Maybe your uncle lives in Boston and he's headed to the Super Bowl to cheer on his patriots. Maybe right now you're saying empathy has its limits. <laughs> but here's what the scripture says, right? This is the challenge for you and I as Jesus followers. Romans 12, 15, if you're following Jesus, here it is. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. We're able to rejoice with those who rejoice, but also to weep with those who weep. And empathetic people can share others' negative feelings as well. Your friend has a terminally ill relative, and you can imagine how it would be if, if that was your family member. You're, you're, you know someone's home life is difficult, and that burdens you as well. Your friend's marriage is suffering a separation, and you can't get their pain off your mind, right? You're empathetically connected there. Galatians 6.2 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. In other words, you cannot be a Christ follower. You cannot accomplish what Christ is calling you to do unless we figure out how to shoulder one another's cares, how to walk empathetically alongside of our brothers and sisters who are suffering. And I do want to point out that empathy is not sympathy. There is a difference between the two of those. And what I'd like for us to do is take a minute to sit under the teaching of Brene Brown. Uh, she does a great job of articulating the difference here. Some of you have seen this video, but let's go ahead and watch this together. So what is empathy and why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's a, it, very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions where empathy is relevant and came up with four qualities of empathy. 
perspective taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth, staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do, <laughs> recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, climb down. I know what it's like down here and you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, <laughs> it's bad, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, no, you want a sandwich? Um, empathy is a choice and it's a vulnerable choice because in order to connect with you I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling rarely if ever does an empathic response begin with at least I had a yeah and we do it all the time because you know what someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful and we're trying to silver lining it I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So I had a miscarriage. Oh, at least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. <laughs> John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now, I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. It's a challenge, right? It's a challenge, but I hope you just l listen to that last line. What makes something better is connection. And that's what the call of Christ is. It's that we would show up, that we would make that connection, that we would show up in our humility and be with someone, that we'd show up in our empathy and, and, and try to care for them. Not sympathy and just make things better, silver line it away, but, but that we would actually feel what they're feeling and try to understand the perspective that they have. You know, what's interesting is, you probably already know this, when someone is experiencing pain, there are certain centers in their brain, if, if they're receiving a brain scan, certain centers in their brain that, that light up very brightly. But a person who is empathetic, if they undergo a brain scan as well, while they're experiencing empathy, their brain lights up in exactly the same areas. I want you to see that God has actually designed you to be like this. God has designed us to be empathetic with one another to be caring, to be able to shoulder one another's burdens and connect with one another deeply in the midst of, of life's most difficult times. But, it, but it's not easy, and it does require us to train ourselves. It requires us to practice empathy, to practice coming alongside and showing up in these difficult places. Another word you might want to write down in the margin somewhere, you're probably already familiar with this, it's the, it's the phrase emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence is just one other way of saying, I can put myself in another person's shoes. 
I, I, I can put some, someone else's shoes on, someone else's perspective on, someone else's paradigm, and I can walk around in it and feel what it feels like to be in their position. That, that idea of emotional intelligence, same thing as empathy. Number three, showing up with our heart requires us to be vulnerably authentic. Vulnerably authentic. Not perfect, but offering grace to others and to ourselves. The idea of being vulnerably authentic. And we, we talk a lot and we strive a lot at Overlake to be authentic, to be ourselves, to not wear masks, to not pretend. But re- recognize that the reason why I put these two words together is because I would tell you it is difficult, if not impossible, to be authentic without being vulnerable, without being willing to take that kind of a risk. It's the state of opening yourself up and trusting that the person that you're opening up to is trustworthy. And this could be in an emotional kind of a way. Let's say if you're a single person and you are finally admitting that you're crazy about someone that, that uh, is in your friendship circle, but taking a risk, thinking that maybe they will only think of you as a friend, that's, that's an incredibly risky kind of, of a thing. Or it could be as simple as saying, when a friend is joking around with you, And it hurts that you would actually take a risk and say, hey, I know you meant it as a joke, but that actually really did hurt my feelings. Or it could be the the risk of being vulnerable, putting yourself out there, and risking embarrassment or judgment, and yet you choose to do it anyway. You know, I think about myself when I was in junior high and high school, and I can literally replay inner dialogues I had with myself that were fraught with insecurity, that were fraught with fear, that were fraught with me internally running myself down, never measuring up to what I saw in my peers. And so I would never take a risk. I would never be vulnerable because I was always in self-protection mode. And some of you can relate exactly to that. I want to tell you that being vulnerable is not easy, and it doesn't get any easier with age. See, overcoming the fear of being judged or criticized, it's going to go with us. But showing up well means that we are not afraid to be open and to be vulnerable. And so you have to practice. You have to take baby step after baby step in this regard. I just want to ask you a rhetorical question. Please don't raise your hand or, or say anything here, but let me just ask. Have you ever noticed that the people who come across as perfect are just a little bit annoying? Right? The the people who have no flaws and no cracks and everything they present is just picture perfect and just absolutely the very best and no problems, no flaws whatsoever. Don't you feel like your first response to that kind of a person is to put some distance between you and them? And the reason why, it's really simple, it's because you look in the mirror, you look inside and you see all of the brokenness. You see all of the struggle, you see all the insecurity and the doubt or whatever it is, the darkness that you're wrestling with, and you evaluate all that you know about yourself with all that you don't know about that person. And you realize how far short you fall in terms of that comparison. And what's really, really helpful to remember is that everyone, including that person, wrestles with all kinds of things, that all of us come from brokenness. All of us have these areas where we stumble. That's the reality of the human condition. 
And so that's why we actually, we don't want to present ourselves as perfect. And we've never talked like that at Overlake. We've, we've never sought to strive to put on that kind of a performance, right? And what do we say? We've said this a lot. No perfect people allowed here, right? If you're perfect, you're in the wrong church, right? We've talked about this before. You're not perfect, so, I mean, maybe this is a wake-up call. But if you think you're perfect, you're in the wrong church. Or we've you joked about this before, and you know this. I say, if you had to be perfect to come to church here, this entire room would be empty. I'd be here all by myself. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> of course not. No, that, but, the, but the truth is there, there's this tension, right, of, of presenting perfection. And what the challenge is to show up with our heart is that we would be authentic and that we would be vulnerable. And, of course, this verse from James chapter 5 speaks directly into this truth. It says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other, that you're in this together, you're humble together, you're, you're empathetic together, and you're vulnerable together. And so I want to challenge you regarding this verse. I want to challenge all of us, and I want you to think about a part of your story where you know you're not perfect. A part of your story where you know there is some brokenness. A part of the story where you know there's weakness and so you, you hide that away and you don't reveal it. And I want you to think about one of those areas and then I want to challenge you to find a safe person or a safe place. Maybe it's in your life group. We're just starting up life groups. Maybe it's, it's with an accountability partner. Maybe it's with just a really good trusted friend of yours. But I want to challenge you to share that area where you're not perfect, that area where there's a little brokenness. And maybe it's, you know, th this is something, a sin that I'm struggling with. Maybe it's, did you know that I, that I have this learning disability? Maybe it's, uh, I really wrestle with body image. Or I, I, I can't tell you how much anxiety I feel each and every day. Just whatever it is for you, it's going to be unique for all of us. But what is that area of your life where it would be a risk? You would be stepping out a little bit and asking a person, are you trustworthy with this news? Can I share this with you? And you're being authentically vulnerable there. You know, I don't know if, if you've ever done this. Let me just ask, have you ever taken a risk, like I'm just saying? Have you ever taken a risk, maybe with your best friend? to share, you know what, this is really how I'm feeling, this is really what I'm dealing with, and, and you thought you were the only person in the world to think like that or, or, or to wrestle with that, and you shared with your friend, and your friend was like, me too. Anybody ever have that experience? Yeah, it's so many of us. You, you know, it, we do a, a conference here called Refresh, and it's for foster and adoptive families. This whole room is filled. And, and as uh, Pastor um, uh, Michelle and Andrew, as they've, if they crafted this conference, they've actually given everyone a sign that says, me too. And anytime one of the speakers shares something that's difficult, or this is a challenge for me, and this is where I wrestle, this is what I'm struggling with, those signs go up all over the room, me too, me too. And it's an incredible way for connection to happen around the room, right? That we are all in this together. So friends, this is what it looks like for us to show up with our hearts, that we would show up with our humility, that we'd show up with our empathy, that we'd show up with our vulnerability. 
And now the question is, well, where is Jesus calling us to show up? And you might want to write this down. Jesus is calling us to show up in the hard places. He's calling us to show up in the difficult places. He's calling us to show up where pain resides, where poverty exists, where burdens are heavy. This is going to be where Jesus' followers are needed. And I get, you know, that you might be uncertain. I, I, I realize I don't have all the answers. You might feel insecure. I totally understand that kind of insecurity. But I want you to understand this is the call of Jesus. If we're going to show up and show up well, we have to show up with our heart in these areas where there is pain. And there is pain all around us. You know, some of you might remember a few years ago, a great leader at Overlake and, and one of my dear friends, a man named Rich, was murdered in his own home. And he was murdered by the very young man that he was seeking to care for, to show up for. And, and it was horrible. It was the most horrific thing ever. And I truly count Rich as a martyr in the faith because he was seeking to do everything he could to honor Jesus and to care for this young man. And he was generous, and he was kind, and he was gracious. And in the midst of him showing up, this tragedy unfolded. But I want you to know that even though that has caused incredible pain and devastation in so many hearts, it has only redoubled our commitment to show up for the hurting and the marginalized and the unstable, for those who are in need of Jesus the most. And we are still, in an ongoing way, trying to care for this young man who committed murder against our dear friend. And it's just the challenge. That's just the call of Jesus to show up and to keep showing up. Some of you might be aware that a, a couple of weeks ago, there was a mosque in Bellevue that was burned. And they found right away the person who started this fire, the arsonist who started this fire. And it turned out to be a young man whom this mosque had already been trying to care for and minister to. And it just happens that way so often in a broken and hurting world. The very people that we try to reach out to are the ones that end up, you know, responding explosively or, or painfully. And, and right away, there was a community meeting the day after the fire. And many overlickers showed up at that community meeting. And one of our elders, James Whitfield, was asked to speak at this meeting. And so he stood up and he communicated our care and support for them. And he communicated that we are with them. We are together in this thing. And it was an incredible opportunity of showing up where there's hurt. Some of you will remember uh, a few years ago, Pastor Jake, the same pastor that uh, I showed earlier and that we prayed for earlier, he lost his middle daughter, Maggie. And you might remember just that how heartbreaking that was, that she was diagnosed with cancer, and it was just an incredibly painful process as she slowly passed. And, and I remember in that season not knowing how to show up, that, that I, was, I felt inadequate, I felt insecure, and yet I knew that the pain that they were experiencing was intense, so I, I just said, Jesus, you've got to help me show up. I don't even know what to do or say, but please help me to show up, and... 
And so, you know, and I don't know if I did it well or not well. I, I ended up trying to give Jake and Davey a book that I found really helpful personally, a book that was given to me by a woman who was suffering with cancer. And so I offered it to them, a book called Jesus Calling by Sarah Young. And, and then I would just show up. I would call Jake and I would ask him, hey, what do Maggie and, and Paisley really like? You know, what kind of toys do they like or what kind of treats do they like? And one time Jake told me, well, they really like those little chocolate coins wrapped in gold foil, right? And so I bought a couple of bags of those gold coins wrapped in foil, and my son Doozy and I dressed up as pirates, and we showed up with our pirate booty, and we gave them the, the coins. We played with them for a while. Just remember how gracious Maggie was. We'd play blocks, or I'd just lay on the floor, and she'd, like, jump on my back, or we'd ride scooters around her dad's ridiculously clean garage. And, and every time after one of those visits, Paisley, the older sister, would walk me to the car. I'd wave goodbye, promptly break into tears. Because I just, you know, because I'm empathetic. And I can only imagine how it would be if one of my own kids was diagnosed with a brain tumor. But the challenge is that we show up, and we keep showing up, and we don't avoid the hard places, but we go to the hard places. One of our elders, Jeff McKinley, told me a story of his last trip into Thailand, where many of you know that Overlake is an ongoing cause that we, that we fight. We have partners over there. We fight human trafficking. We fight those who are trafficked into the sex industry, and, and Pastor Jeff's active over there, and so he was in Thailand, and what they do is with a group, they go into these different bars and, and they meet with the girls there and just invite them out to learn about a, 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 one of our partner projects, which is we house and educate these women, teach them a trade, take care of them until they can successfully exit the sex industry. And, and so he had talked to one of these girls through a translator and his team and, and she agreed to come out. And so they went into a restaurant and they sat down at dinner time, and, and Pastor Jeff just asked through the translator, hey, could you just ask her what she wants to eat? I'll, I'd love to buy her dinner tonight. And again, there was three or four of them there. And so the translator communicated that, and, and the young girl was just stricken. She just, she just turned white, and then she started to sob uncontrollably. And Jeff was horrified that he had maybe offended her or hurt her feelings somehow. And so he said through the translator, please apologize for me. I, I didn't mean to offend her. Please ask her why she's crying. And so the translator communicated all of that. And the answer that Jeff got was the young girl said, in my entire life, no one has ever asked me what I wanted for dinner. No one has ever given me a choice or offered to buy me dinner. And it was so small, friends. Think about how small that is. But Jeff was showing up with the love of Jesus, and it, it just revolutionized her life. And I know right now that, you know, people are all over the, the, the spectrum politically. Like, I get it. I get it. And you, you might have all kinds of reasons for being exactly where you are politically, but I want to tell you, you can be wherever you want to be politically. But if you're a Jesus follower, you have to care. If you're a Jesus follower, you have to be humble. 
If you're a Jesus follower, you've got to be vulnerable. And you've got to be willing to show up and be connected to those in our world who don't have hope, who don't see how this is going to be even possible to move forward, who, whose dreams maybe are broken or whose families are now separated, whose poverty is crushing, who, who don't feel like there is any light at all, that's where Jesus is calling us to go. That's who Jesus is calling us to love. I don't give a rip about your politics, but I care greatly about your heart. And you need to care. You need to have compassion. Or or don't pretend you're a Jesus follower. There is a choice, okay? I know too many good people who are too scared to show up, who are too scared to come alongside. Friends, we can't be like that. That cannot be God's call for you or for me or for Overlake. No, we've got to show up. We've got to show up with our heart. And I put a scripture on your notes, and this is one of those things where I think this is going to haunt us a little bit, okay, in a glorious way, in a Holy Spirit way. Holy Spirit haunting. You know, in the King James, it's the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost will haunt us in this fashion, okay? In Luke 12, 48, it says, this is Jesus. When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. Friends, much has been given to you. Much has been given to us. And much will be required from us. We're going to be held accountable. And so what I want to do right now is I want you to think specifically about Jesus himself for a moment. Has anyone been more humble than Jesus our Lord? Has anyone been more willing to, to put themselves down and to put the needs of others above his own than Jesus? Think about empathy. Jesus cared so much about being empathetic with you that he left heaven and he put on human skin and he walked around in this lifetime. That's empathy. To know exactly what you struggle with, to know exactly what you're tempted by, to know exactly what it feels like. Jesus is the primary example of empathy. Vulnerability. Can you get any more vulnerable than being born in a hutch that houses animals? Or allowing people to whip you and spit on you and rip your beard from your face? Nail you to a cross? See, Jesus is the example. Jesus is the one who has showed up for us, and that's why his call is so compelling for you and for me today. He's our model, he's our example, and he's the one that we trust. And so right now, we're going to have an opportunity to come to the Lord's table. And you'll notice that there are tables set up in front, and there's tables set up in the middle of the room as well. This is a time we call communion. And when Jesus set this up with his disciples, he said, I want you to take the bread and I want you to eat this. And every time you do, remember me. 
And then the same thing with the cup. He took the cup, he poured it, he passed it around. He said, every time you drink this cup, remember me. And so over like today, I want you to remember Jesus. And I want you to think about Jesus. And I want you to think about how humble and how empathetic and how vulnerable he was for you. And I want you to think about his call then for you and for me to show up with our hearts today. Why don't you stand with me now? And when you feel ready, please make your way to one of the tables around the room.
the source of our joy. It's the source of our hope. We praise the one who's paid our debt and raised this life up from the grave. Why don't you go ahead and grab a seat. I, I just want to close our time together by asking you to consider what is really one reason why we fail to show up. How come it is that, that so often we fail to show up and even though, you know, we want, there, we want to be there with our head and, and we desire to be there with our hands, we, we want our feet to be willing to go, even our heart, we want the right posture with our heart, and yet so often we fail. And, and, and here's 
my thought on it. It's just, this is just me. This is Mike Howard. I look at my own life, talk to my friends, and, and this is one of the reasons we think, maybe the biggest reason, it's the issue of time, that we're busy, that our lives are filled and overfilled and, and many things, some good, some not so good, some just kind of pointless, some just busy. But because we don't have margin, we, we don't take that, that time that's needed. And so I would really challenge you to, to think about that and maybe just offer that to the Lord as, as a prayer point. God, would you show me how to build the time into my life so that I could show up how you want me to show up and where you want me to show up and with who you want me to show up. But please, let me build in the space so that I can show up the way that you showed up for me. All right, so why don't we go ahead and bow our heads, close our eyes, and let's just ask Jesus for his help today. Jesus, we start with humble hearts that are incredibly filled with praise for all of the ways that you have loved us and graced us, for the way that you have served us by offering us your salvation, forgiveness of our sins, a new life in you, a life that starts today but lasts forever and ever. And for all this, we are so thankful. And we know that this is your call. We know that this entire series, we've been looking at your words again and again. We've been looking at your example again and again. And so, Jesus, we want to get this right. We want to be a church that shows up. So please, Jesus, show us how to build time into our lives. Show us how to build space so that we know and, 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 and where we can sense your spirit leading us to make a phone call or to make a visit or to write that letter, to take that trip. Whatever it is that you're calling us to do, Lord, we want to be found faithful to showing up for you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.